You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 70. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Thanks so much again for doing this, Dr. High. I've been looking forward to this for so long. And I admit I'm a little bit nervous because this is kind of a very controversial subject. Uh, but I'm so glad that we're doing it because so many moms have been switching from hospital births to home births. And there's just so much, like it's buzzing right now. Like it's just all the talk and it seems like it's all the rage. So I'm so excited that we're finally having this chat. And I obviously like, I really admire your practice. You know, I recommend, I'm in Orange County, just like you're, you're in Orange County. I know your practice is in Orange County. And I recommend, uh, you know, everyone that I know to go see you for when they have their baby or they need to have a baby. So, <laughs> well, that's an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm excited too. Yeah. So I thought we could start off just by, you know, explaining to everyone a little bit about yourself, talking about yourself, your background, both, you know, personally and professionally. I personally love, I think it was the, the hamster story that you always tell. Um, so I love that one. So yeah, if you would just like to tell everyone about yourself. The guinea pigs. Oh my gosh, that's funny. That's right. I remember um, if it was guinea pigs or hamsters. <laughs> that's funny. And it's interesting. That story was really more, it helped me to understand how a mammal goes through a labor process, but not exactly why I'm an OBGYN. Um, <laughs> but I did raise guinea pigs and sell them to pet stores because when you're eight and nine years old, $5 a, a baby is a lot of money when they have like five babies, right? Woohoo, 25 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm from Orange County and grew up in the area. Um, I went to UCLA for my medical school and my residency. And there really, I think, begins this topic for us today because the UCLA residency program was a combination of a midwife training and traditional OBGYN Western medicine. So it was an excellent way for me to get exposure to both sides and and actually make it a united front, not necessarily a sided you know, mm-hmm. front. So anyhow, after my training... I was hired on by UCLA to teach, and I taught in a Ventura County Medical Center setting where we had family medicine residents. It's a really great program, top four in the nation for those family medicine residents who want to go and do deliveries on their own in rural communities or even other countries where there may not be OBGYNs. So we taught family doctors how to do C-sections, deliveries, and manage prenatal care and postpartum care. Um, so it's been a, an incredible training journey because I, I have to say, I think when you teach others, you learn so much yourself too. So that 13 years of being in an academic setting set the stage for then private practice. And so in 2011, I st- opened up in Newport Beach. Really, we just we had two little kids. My parents were here still, and I just really wanted to be next to them and closer um, you know, busy working mama stuff, right? So it was nice to have them. Um, and I, as a 
probably one of the hardest things I ever did in my life, decided to open this small business. And it's been an incredible journey. And I feel so amazed and in awe sometimes when I sit back and look at kind of what we have now. I have a partner, I have an employed doctor, I have PAs, I have an incredible ultrasound tech. And I hope we're making a difference in women's life because we truly dedicate we dedicate everything to it. My partner and I are just, we have a passion for women of all stages, a 10-year-old with an ovarian cyst that needs help to a 99-year-old who maybe has uterine prolapse and can't urinate, you know, and then of course the in-between in our childbearing ages. So that's me. <laughs> I love that. And your story is, it kind of reminds me, it's similar to mine that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, but, you know, being a lawyer is pretty demanding too, but not as much as being a doctor. I have a lot of friends in the medical field and a lot of doctor friends. And I always say that's way hard in my opinion than being a lawyer, but I also uh, decided to uh, have be located in Orange County when I'm, you know, my kids are almost one and then almost four. So it's so nice to be near parents um, when they're in those, the smaller stages. And especially when you have demanding career and job. And even if you don't, honestly, it's just nice to have parents close by for, for that support and everything. And, and I can attest that you are, you are making a big difference uh, in Orange County. Cause I just hear glowing review, reviews from every single person that's gone to your practice. I know you guys, you know, remove my ovarian cyst. So it's great to have that taken care of. Um, but you definitely are, are making a big difference. So I'd love to jump into, uh, you know, the whole debate between home births and hospital births, but I really love how you phrased it, how you just said that you view Western medicine, um, you know, traditional medicine, and then, you know, alternative medicine as being more of a united front, at least that's what your training was instead of a sided front. I just think that's a really great way to frame this entire discussion because this isn't really like an either or thing. It's more of at least you know, from my perspective, it's more of evaluating the risks and just being make sure that all moms are aware of the risks, whether it is hospital and home birth. I myself have, uh, you know, a lot of friends that have done both hospital and home birth, including my sister, you know, she had two home births before deciding that she wasn't comfortable with that anymore and decided to switch to hospital birth, which is pretty much the opposite of most stories you hear out there, you know, it's usually people starting off at the hospital and going to the home birth. So I always like to to bring up that example of my sister, because she had kind of like the opposite experience for that. Uh, so I'd love to get your take on it. Why do you think that there has been such a big rise in home births, especially the last few years? I feel like every single person on Instagram is like posting these incredible home birth photos. Yeah, it's a great question. And one that I think is important to ask, because what I think it means truly is that as women, we're searching for a way to connect really with our bodies and the experience, the way I understand it is even having gone through it myself with my first pregnancy, I remember just thinking I was in awe of being part of something that women had been part of or have done for thousands of years. And wow, it was my turn, right? It was my moment to be able to live something that's so much a miracle. And I think that then translates further, right? So the pregnancy itself every day, especially as you start to feel your baby move and you 
really get that idea in your mind that there's a human living off your body, which is just a mind blowing concept, then, you know, you're, you're journeying through that. And then you start to think about this reality that this person's going to come out and you wonder, you know, gosh, do I want to experience it in a way that I feel puts me back in a setting that maybe women have done for thousands of years. And that does sound appealing to so many of us. Of course, some people have a lot of anxiety with that thought. And I do have patients that come to me at, you know, eight weeks pregnant, telling me I'll do their C-section, you know, um, which is always, you know, that's a whole nother topic that I, I try my best to, you know, calm them and comfort them and encourage them to trust in their body. But I think most of us we really, although there's fear and anxiety because it's the unknown, we we really get into that mindset. I, I think that it's we're living a miracle and we want to experience it for all it's worth, mm-hmm. right? And so the idea of doing this at home, I think, has become more appealing because it seems to me that 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 sort of reaches into that inner feeling that you could be in control of it, you could be allowed to really move through it in a more peaceful, maybe not so rushed or potentially invasive way that you want to be able to trust in something that you've been born to do and you want to be supported in that. And I think then, you know, this fear of C-section rates being so high in hospital settings and um, maybe feeling like the, you know, you've lost, you're going to lose control or the ability to dictate your, your care has pushed women into this home delivery. One of my very best friends who was actually, in my medical school with me had a home delivery. And I remember, you know, we talked a lot about it and that was, you know, part of the way she thought. So I think it comes from a a really incredibly intense place where women just want to connect with this biology, you know, and they want to do it with full confidence that the team around them is going to trust in them. They're not like alone at home. They're, they're at home with a team. Right. So I don't know that it's home as it is, the desire to be trusted and and give an ample opportunity to do what your body's been built to do or designed to do. I think that's the appeal of the home birth. At least that's what it would have been for me, you know, with my doula and my first and, you know, the idea of how would I go about doing this? Right. That, That makes a lot of sense. I guess I never really thought of it from that perspective as connecting with how it women have given birth for centuries. And as you said, thousands of years in my mind, I always thought I didn't want to connect with that because I knew there was a lot of mortality and really terrible things. But at the same time, you know, obviously there's, you know, the majority of the time it was like a very happy and intimate setting. And, and just, I just recently watched, I know I've mentioned it on the show before, but it's called sex explained on Netflix. And I'm not sure if you've seen it, but they basically were talking about, you know, a hundred years ago, when women were in the hospital, they had absolutely no rights at all when they were giving birth, that they were just, you know, like they didn't have to give consent, basically. It was like, we're going to put you under general anesthesia, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then the woman was just helpless in the hospital. So it seems like, you know, as as we've evolved, it, it seems like the pendulum has almost swung in the completely opposite direction where it's to try to compensate, right, for that history of women not having any say-so in the delivery room, and then women wanting full autonomy in the delivery room. And then at the same time, you know, I'm thinking in my head, maybe there's a little bit of a happy equilibrium there. So I'm just going to throw out uh, a question, like, do you personally think that 
you know, home births are a good idea and why or why not? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think they're a good idea, but I don't think the reality is safe mm-hmm. enough because the access to the number one life-saving treatment that we have is just not there. And that's blood transfusions. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason women are not dying now, like they did, let's say in the 17 or 1800s, truly there's one main reason and it's blood transfusions. Mm -hmm. I I like to think that uh, some of my interventions are, are the most important things. They're important, the things that I've been trained to do when things are complex and, you know, things are maybe turning south. But but ultimately, the number one life-saving thing is a blood transfusion. And so my biggest concern with the home birth is there's just no quick access to blood. Um, that's the part that really frightens me. I don't think the home birth experience or the idea of it is necessarily something that's frightening or wrong, or, you know, it makes sense to me, as I told you in the beginning, it's more, how can we potentially merge that desire, but yet have an environment that's safe because you have quick access to the tools you need. And unfortunately in labor things, when they potentially, and if they, you know, become complicated, it's very quick. These things go quickly and you can't hesitate. That's actually part of really our training, both midwife certified nurse midwives and MD or OBGYNs, maybe DOs, but OBGYNs is that we really have to know when things are quickly turning. You have to, it's almost have this sort of um, ritualistic way of, of managing true life emergencies. You don't even think it's just habit. You just, it's A, B, C, D, you know, and I think in a home setting, it could be frightening. It could take time. There could be delays. And by the time someone gets to the hospital, it could be dangerous for her life or her baby's life. That's my only concern about a home birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting about the the blood transfusions. I, I, I was wondering, you know, I, I always, I guess in my mind, I thought it was C-section, but it's interesting that uh, you think it's the blood transfusions. So have you ever seen, well, I'm sure you've seen instances of that, like just where blood transfusions were so immediate that if they, someone who had a very healthy pregnancy, very normal pregnancy, that that's basically the thing that saved them. Yes. I've almost done this for 20 years. I started 2006. I've seen it more times than I can tell you. Yeah. Mm. This job, (laughs) most of the time, thank God, is... Oh, it's just this beautiful, peaceful thing. And that really is what I want the message to be for women. I don't want to create a sense of fear. But it's true that there's like these moments of just terror. And that's where it's important, as I was trying to say, that, that you know, you, you can't, as the provider, allow yourself to fall into a fearful state. Right. But it is a very... Um, very quick and instantaneous state to be in. And it happens oftentimes surprisingly. And so truthfully, yes, I have seen many, many women go from everything's looking great to a sudden emergency. And I've really, in those cases, I've truly you know, appreciated the tools that I have at a hospital setting to be able to act quickly, help baby, help mother, 
And um, I almost hesitate to say it, but I'm grateful that I've had so many near life and death experiences in my job, but I've never lost a patient, you know, and Mm -hmm. I pray that that is always going to be the case till I retire that I can say that I can't even imagine. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it would be. I don't even, you know, so, but I I don't mean to get to that sort of extreme. I just mean, that's sort of the the house, the home birth versus hospital thing. I mean, ultimately, one quick thing. I, I did a, a mini fellowship after I graduated from residency in 2011. I actually, I went to Rochester and this is for pelvic pain because I, I do a lot of chronic pelvic pain work in women. Um, and there's a huge, across the street from the Rochester Hospital, a huge cemetery there. Uh, it's, it's literally like two miles by two miles by two miles by two, like, you know, just huge. And the graves are from the 1600s forward. Mm. And I guess I'm a little morbid, but I was fascinated. And I, I walked around that one rainy afternoon with an umbrella and I was looking at all these tombstones and I was amazed because so many of them, they didn't even have a name. It just said mother and baby. Mm. So many and the next day I went back to the person that led the fellowship and I told him about it. And he said, yes, he said one in three women died in childbirth in the 1700s wow, in the U S oh and goodness. we've come so far. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. I know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to take this in a sad direction. Yeah. We'll be more positive, but I just will never forget that we've come a long way. Yes, for definitely. And I, yeah, I, I definitely think that this is an important part of the conversation because I, I know it's funny. Uh, a few years ago, there's a, you know, an older family friend who, who's a man and he just had made an offhand remark. He said, you know, there's so many people now and so many women nowadays who get C-sections. And he said, I don't remember, you know, this before or why is that like why do so many women need c-sections you know obviously women have been having kids for thousands of years and I just looked at him straight in the eyes and I just because he was like what did women do before then and I just looked at him I said they died you know not to be like too morbid and then he just you could tell he was taken aback and he hadn't thought of that but you know at the same time it's you know the whole balancing that you were talking about is like women have been doing this for thousands of years you know we get that but at the same time they also have been dying for thousands of years and not to be too morbid about it, but I feel like that is often left out of the discussion when it's, when we're talking about home births. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but I felt um, actually a lot of accounts that do promote home births because honestly, like a lot of the stuff, I like a lot of the stuff that they say, you know, it's a lot of women empowerment, those sorts of things. Uh, But it almost takes on this new agey factor where when we're talking about fear, we don't really want to bring up fear. And they're all about don't let fear be the basis of your decision, right? And so they're all like mind over matter, those sorts of things, which are, I mean, they're good mantras to have. But at the same time, you have to balance that with what you were saying, the reality. So uh, before we, I would, I, I do want to get into the details of, you know, how we can actually have an empowered hospital birth, because I, think that that would be amazing if we could kind of create the structure that you're talking about of the idealistic home birth in a hospital setting. But before we get to that, I would love for you to just maybe say how, what can a mom think in her head if she's thinking in her head, well, I don't want the basis for my decision to choose a hospital birth over a home birth Mm -hmm. to be one of fear since that really seems to be, you know, the motto of the home birth community. 
Right, right. So you're saying, how do we communicate this ideal that being in a hospital can give her potentially the benefits of a home birth and yet the safety that we get when we're in a hospital and not be centered around fear? Um, yeah, well, I, I think that one of the most yes. important to that is to choose a team correctly. So what, well, not correctly, but you know, the team that you think will support you through your hospital based home birth is truly critical. You know, the hospital itself can create a comfortable mm-hmm. environment. It can have the tools that are necessary to keep a woman as safe as possible in the case of an emergency. But what would be really important to to cluing in this woman who desires this home birth at a hospital would be, who's your team? Who's your support system? Be it your family, your friend, your husband, your partner, you know, your physician, the nursing staff, maybe your doula. The first thing that's important to creating this hospital-based home birth experience would be that team approach. And I think without that, so much is missing, mm-hmm. right? And, and then, of course, the trust in that team. And I hope that women see their physicians mm-hmm. and their midwives, their nurse midwives, that, that maybe they see as part of the team that they know wants to give them freedom of choice, flexibility, but yet wants to be there as that safety net for them. Because once you have that trust in your team, you have comfort mm-hmm. and comfort and fe- that feeling of safety is what you're saying when mind over matter. I think the mind over matter is feeling cared about, heard, and safe. And that allows their body to relax and do biologically mm-hmm. what it's made to do. If they're tight and right. and fearful and they don't even trust their team around them, I mean, this could be for a home birth too. If you don't have a team around you, it's going to be right. so much more intense and difficult, right? So I think being supported and having that right team is more important than where the delivery is. That's my take over the years. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Actually, when you were saying that, I just had this imagery that popped into my head that I'm a very you know visual person that you know, when people go rock climbing out in the woods, you know, you have to be pretty fearless to do that, right? You're climbing a mountain or a cliff or whatever that is. And you can still have that everyone, most people still do it with that little, you know, the little rope thing just in case, right? But that doesn't mean that you're fearful or you're climbing up this cliff in a very fearful state, because I don't think that you could probably do that. So just as you were saying that you have to be able to trust the situation and then have that lifeline. And just because you have the lifeline doesn't mean that you're not fearless, which is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yes. And I I think that also comes with flexibility, you know, and I, I have to say that when women, we, we want so badly to be potentially sort of rigid in our thoughts because we're being taught certain things along the way. We're all seeking advice. I feel the same thing about breastfeeding. You know, you, <laughs> you're trying so hard to get it right, right? You want to get it right because your baby is the most important thing in your world. And all you want to do is feed this baby, right? So you'll get maybe, I don't know. Do you remember this? I, I felt this way. I had maybe 30 different people tell me different things when I was in the hospital and shortly afterwards yeah. while I was struggling with my son. 
it was so desperate. And I listened so intently to every lactation consultant, every friend, although their mother, my doctor, the pediatrician, and I tried to follow everything they said. And it was so, I think I, I got more stressed about making sure I was doing everything they said to do than the trouble I was actually having with my son and the breastfeeding. <laughs> right, and I think exactly. in labor, it's the same way. We start, we're like trying to learn all these things. We're taking advice. We know we, we need to create a plan and we need to have all this. And we, we don't want this. We do want that. We did that. And then we become more stressed by this sort of picture we create for ourselves and d- these mm-hmm. sort of, uh, I don't know, ideals. I, I really truly think when it comes to the human body, and the human experience, the best way to go is to be a bit flexible and to be forgiving and to be, you know, grateful for what happens along the way, even if it's not exactly the thing that you were told was supposed to go a certain way, you know, because I do also see a lot of women have incredible disappointment and self regret. You know, they, they almost feel like they're a failure, you know, in thinking about this topic, I watched that um, the business of birthing by Ricky Lake. I thought, you know, I want to kind of understand the message. And it was really, there was a lot of really cool points in that movie, but some of it, I felt like it, it was an incredible pressure on women and it was a bit fear mongering. And at the end, one of the producers ends up having to have a C-section mm. and Ricky Lake says to her, you know, at like two months or whatever it was postpartum, she's at her house and she asks her friend, this producer or the camera woman, you know, like, were you disappointed that you didn't get that home birth that you were, you know, kind of intending and that we, you know, through all our filming and everything. And I thought, why is that even a question? She shouldn't be disappointed. She should be amazed by her body. Regardless, there's a little human life in the world that will grow to do great things. And it didn't matter (laughs) how ultimately that baby came out. You know what I mean? Right. Anyway, so I don't know. I think I've shifted gears. I think you need to redirect me. I apologize. (laughs) No, I love this. As you're saying, like I have, I have so many like, side points that I want to bring up. I mean, ultimately, it, it is a shame that, you know, women feel the sense of shame. And I know I've talked about it in the past, but, you know, Brene Brown has a book, um, obviously several books. I forgot the one that I read in particular, but she was talking about how there's so much more shame, especially surrounding women and then mothers. It's just all the society pressure and shame. And it's yeah. really, it's, it's, it's really uh, just, you know, external, something that we really can't control in terms of all this pressure that we're receiving to perform a certain way. Um, I, I luckily, I do fall into that trap occasionally, but you know, my, my pregnancy and postpartum experience has been so different from every single other person I know, which I know all our longtime listeners know, because I, you know, I had SPD, symphysis, pubis dysfunction, postpartum, Mm. and then I had to go to PT for several months. And so Whenever I hear the message, oh, your body was made for this, I'm like, nope, this body was not was not made for this, you know, in the way that they're saying, because it's almost like this whole fairy tale, like, oh, you know, if you just have mind over matter, then you're going to have this perfect pregnancy and delivery and all that. And I think that that all contributes to the shame, too, because then if your body doesn't perform the way that it should mm-hmm. ideally perform, then you feel guilt and shame because you're mm-hmm. thinking, well, my body was made for this. And I, I know that it's good intentions. I understand like the empowerment behind it. But at the same time, 
a lot of bodies weren't necessary. I mean, yes, they were made to have babies. Yes, but it's not going to be this well-oiled Cadillac machine for every single person. And that's okay. You know, I've accepted that my body wasn't made for this. Like I'm not meant to have 10 kids, you know, it's just not something that's meant for me. And then I'm okay with that, but I don't think most women are. And that's, it's really sad that we are in this position as a society where there's just so much shame surrounding women and motherhood. So anyway, I could go on that topic and tangent for a long time, but I love to get more into the, the nitty gritty details of, you know, some reasons. Cause I did look up the main reasons why um, women do choose to have a home birth versus a hospital birth. And again, like I, I do know some of our listeners have had home births and I do have friends who have home births. So I don't want this to be like, Oh, I, you know, I don't approve personally of it. It's just more of, I think it's really important to be made aware of the risks and benefits. And then also maybe after hearing this, you realize that you can have the experience that you want in a hospital setting, but you didn't realize that 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 was an option. So the first uh, reason that I had, you know, looked up why women want to have a, uh, a home birth is that they want to give birth without medical invention intervention, such as pain medication, labor augmentation, labor induction, or fetal heart rate monitoring. So is that something that a hospital can provide too? They can, but there is a degree. And I mean, of course, pain medicine, that's up to the woman, right? So that's something that is easy to allow for. I think when you're in a hospital, the one thing that's going to come up will be that fetal monitoring. However, the good news is it doesn't have to be intrusive per se. And and at a home birth with a midwife, they would do a similar thing, which is the intermittent monitoring, right? And, and ensuring that the heartbeat's okay, listening for that. So we can do that. And we do that frequently at Hogue at my hospital, we do intermittent monitoring. Um, we also have a really cool Bluetooth, we call telemonitor, where a patient can have the monitor on her belly, but be mobile so that she can walk around, be free to roam and not be strapped to her bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there are Bluetooth remote monitoring options. Really cool. And so usually we just need something like a 15, 20 minute look at the baby's heartbeat and we do this intermittently. It does also depend where we're at, you know, so meaning if we're in active labor, we're more than about six centimeters, things are moving, you know, more quickly. You might want to check in with the baby more frequently than you would, you know, during that latent labor, that part before six centimeters that can even take in a first time pregnancy, you know, 18 hours or 20 hours. So not that you'd be in the hospital that whole time, but for the chunk of the time that's the slowest, you can space out the heart monitoring and then sort of pick it up a little bit. But it shouldn't restrict a woman's ability to otherwise be free of intervention as you know, long as we're assured that our baby is tolerating labor well. I think naturally most... And is that something that a mom would have to ask? Yes. 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 Default is continuous monitoring, but it's always respected that a woman, if she wants intermittent monitoring, can have it at our institution. Okay. So it sounds like if that's, you know, something that mothers are concerned about, that they can have that intermittent monitoring just as they would have at home in the hospital. 
And then in terms of, you know, the, the, the pain medication, I have heard that some doctors aren't as supportive of not having, you know, pain like epidural or, you know, other pain management drugs, those sorts of things. Is that something that maybe mom should ask around with, ask around and try to find a healthcare provider who is supportive of those sorts of things? Yeah, I definitely think it goes back to that initial comment, that team thing. Her doctor is part of her team, and it's important to have a fair, honest answer from the physician up front. You know, if a patient truly wants to have an unmedicated birth and, you know, the physician's not honest with her that they're going to sort of encourage epidurals, even when a patient says they don't want it. I don't think that is appropriate in any way. Right. So I think if that is a goal, a patient should definitely have that conversation with their physician well before she's at the hospital in labor. I will tell you most of my colleagues, if not all that I know of in our community are highly supportive of women and their ability We know that our patients are able to do this. We've seen it so many times, and it's an incredible feat. Um, But I also feel that that's an individual's decision, and I want to support women in general, whether or not they want an epidural or not, or maybe some minimal anesthesia, maybe just a topical. I love doing like a topical lidocaine gel uh, as she's pushing as the head is crowning, just to take the edge off a little bit. Um, that's, you know, none of that'll get to baby and most of it just sort of helps mom with that last sort of burning, that ring of fire, you know, so you could also come up with a variation with enough planning with your physician, uh, or your provider, you could come up with a rendition of what pain control means for you, right? It doesn't, it's not just epidurals. I even give, uh, maybe Norco or Percocet when they're, let's say three or four centimeters and, really just want to take an edge off and don't want a big, strong dose of something like fentanyl, which could make you sort of a little more loopy or feel like you're outside your body. Um, It's obviously not a perfect fix. The Percocet's not going to cure all the discomfort of that stretch and the change that's going on in the pelvis, but it can maybe be a a bit of an edge off that someone might want if she doesn't want an epidural. You know, so there's ways to work with women to help them meet their goals. And I think that being open-minded and having options is the most important thing for an empowered hospital birth. Yes, I agree. Yes. So it sounds like uh, as we're going, you know, I'm just going to quickly read through some of the other reasons that that women uh, sometimes choose home births, you know, desire to give birth in a comfortable, familiar place surrounded by family, which we talked about dissatisfaction with hospital care. It sort of goes back to the, the team uh, choosing your team wisely that, that we have been talking about a desire for freedom and control in the birthing process. Again, what, what we've talked about cultural or religious concerns, lack of access to transportation or lower cost. I'm not really sure about the lower cost there. I guess, I mean, from what I've heard, you know, some midwives are, are pretty pricey, but I, I mean, most of these points, it seems like it's going back to the theme that we've been talking about is choosing your team. And I know that, you know, you're obviously very supportive of women and different things that, that they would like to do uh, during their, their birthing experience. Uh, but for moms out there, so who maybe it's their first time getting pregnant, maybe they didn't really like their healthcare provider the first time. 
how would you recommend uh, women going about finding this this person? Is it more just like word of mouth and those sorts of things? Because it really does seem like it boils down to who your provider is, right? Yes, yes. I do think word of mouth is critical and maybe even interviewing, you know, so that even pre-pregnancy, I have people come in for preconception visits and we discuss the way I manage things, their thought process, and even their general health, because so much of the management also depends on maybe things that come with the patient. So what I mean to say is let's pretend someone's had a myomectomy, a fibroid removed, and, you know, this is a major surgery that means they can't labor. That might change the way that you might manage her labor, if at all, maybe she needs a C-section for delivery, right? So meeting with your physician ahead of time, bringing your personal health with you and potential health risks and discussing sort of the way that you're hopeful for this future pregnancy and delivery to go ahead of time would probably be the best way. And sometimes it's just trial and error. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to my husband about this this morning, we, you didn't marry the first person you dated, or maybe you did for some really amazing people that get to do that. But most of us, you know, it takes right. a trial and error, yes. you know, and, and it's okay. It, yes. It's not even necessarily personal per se, that if maybe it's just not a good match. Right. Then maybe there's a different person for you, for your team during delivery. Um, mm-hmm. But the most important thing I think is knowing that the provider you choose their most their biggest intention is to be well trained they know what the skills are that they need if there is truly mm-hmm. an emergency that happens and that they respect you and hear you you know so right if you've got that in a provider <laughs> ideal and therefore the freedom for the patient to be able to have the delivery she wants is sort of there after just all hers to be had, you know, meaning she's got that background safety net. And now if she has the trust, like we said in the beginning, she can proceed. And hopefully with the support of her family and the support group in the room during the majority of her labor, she's successful in achieving her goals. Hmm. I like that a lot. When you're, um, but it's a little effort. It's going to have to put in a yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it's interesting. I have seen some reluctance in a lot of women in quote unquote like firing their product their provider when they're in the middle of their pregnancy and in a lot of Facebook groups. And I I always comment, by the way, to, to go see you at HM Medical because I when I hear these stories, they're like, Oh, well, I'm 20 weeks along and they're just so hesitant about fire, even if it's a really bad situation or it's just not a good fit. And then I just, I don't, I don't get it. I'm like, well, if obviously it's not working. I guess it's, you know, it kind of reminds me of when someone's dating, a, if they have a bad boyfriend, it's like, you know, dump him already. Like you deserve better, you know, find a healthcare provider that supports your decisions. And so I, I don't really know why there's that, that big hesitancy, but you know, if any, if anyone's listening and even if you're 38 weeks pregnant and you, you don't like your healthcare provider switch, you know, go see Dr. Howe instead of you're in, in Orange County. So uh, yeah, I, I don't really oh, know. You're so, you know, I, I'll, I'll put that out there a little bit more to say it may not even be that it's a, a, a negative thing. It may be there's just stylistic things that just don't fit. You, you just don't fit each other. Uh, I know that we have a physician in our community who 
there's one I know does a lot of C-sections, you know, her, her C-section rates been up to 50%. And so she attracts patients that really, truly just want elective C-sections, you know, and so that's a really good fit for her. Does that make her a bad person? I don't think so. I think it, she has a niche for her. It works for her. It works for them, you know? So it's more kind of an understanding of personalities and goals. It may not be hurtful. It may not mean you're a bad doctor. It may just mean the goals I have are different from the way that your goals would be presenting as a physician. Thank you, patient out, (laughs) you know, right? Exactly. Yes. That's a good point to bring. Cause I do have friends that do prefer C-sections and just have had multiple C-sections too. And that's, that's what they prefer. So I, that's a, that's a really good point to bring up that it's just not a good fit. You know, maybe the stylistic is different or the approach is different. The outlook is different. You know, the patient has different goals than, than what the, the doctor's niche is. So, and yeah, I mean, if I was having repeat C-sections, I would go to that doctor too. Like, why not have someone who's really good at doing C-sections do your C-section, right? I mean, that seems like it's a really good, would be a really good fit. So I'm glad you brought up the C-section. So, because I did want to talk about that. I know that that's one major reason why a lot of women have home births. I know I personally was really reluctant uh, I was very nervous the first time I was giving birth too, because I was nervous about having a, a C-section, like a, a C-section that's not necessarily medically necessary. You know, I just wanted to be given the option to deliver nat- uh, vaginally. I got an epidural, so I don't know if it's natural or what. It's weird terminology too. I'm like, what does natural mean? You know? <laughs> um, so uh, why do you think that there is the higher C-section rate? Uh, I have a friend actually who, you know, when we're going back to the whole healthcare provider thing, the first time she was choosing a doctor, she's like, oh, well, all doctors are the same. So she just picked an OBGYN and she went with it. And then she had a C-section that wasn't really necessarily medically necessary. You know, it was kind of, it seemed like it was more like an elective because the doctor was like, oh, well, you've been pushing a while. Let's just, you know, go do the C-section. I think he was just trying to help her out, but she didn't really want one. And so then the second time, and she actually just had her third baby. So she had two V-backs back to back. And she made sure she chose a provider who would give her that option to labor a little bit longer. Uh, but why do you think that there is such a higher rate of C-sections and, you know, maybe not necessarily medically necessary? I know that obviously there are instances where it is medically necessary, but the ones that aren't necessarily medically necessary, I guess, in like a life or death kind of situation. Yeah. To be as concise as possible, because it is a little complex, um, what I've seen the biggest change since I started all this, you know, 2002 in my training is that our labor curves and the way that we're trained as OBGYNs to decide when C-sections are needed, they have changed. So the curve itself has now been extended, meaning, you know, we have now we allow so much more time and different stages of labor than we did in the past. So imagine if you're trained a certain way that it should be, this is the rate. And if the woman doesn't go this certain rate, then that is an indication for C-section. And that's the way from the very beginning, you're taught 
you're going to extend that training to real life practice, right? And so probably mm, 10 years ago, maybe maybe a little bit more, 12, 13, we started to question that. And we thought, you know, these Friedman curves, these curves of labor, they may not be right. <laughs> and so, well, what would happen if we gave women more time? What if we did allow her to go more than two hours without cervical change after six centimeters? Or what if she pushed for four hours instead of two to three? You know, what would happen? And guess what happened? We had more vaginal deliveries. Wow. And we had really good outcomes. Wow. And so what we realize now as a whole is that women just need more time. Yes. Uh, yesterday, I delivered four patients and they all had very unique stories. They were really interesting. But one I'll tell you, it was her third and baby was looking up, which is the hardest way to do it. She pushed for three hours. That would have gone way outside of the norm for the way I was trained. You know, it's her third baby. After an hour of pushing, she should have had a C-section. But we ultimately oh, had a beautiful vaginal delivery. And she's doing wow. great. She's recovering. The baby's fine in her arms. No problem. You know, so I had to shift. Physicians had to shift. This is just, I think, also the grace that all science has to be given in all fields mm-hmm. and in medicine in general. As we learn, as long as we continue to develop and grow, we'll improve and we'll have better outcomes. And that's yeah. what I see happening. So the C-section rate was high because yeah. of a true belief that they were indicated when they weren't. And now mm. the C-section rates are dropping Wow. Because there's a huge move in the U.S. especially, but in California definitely, to lower our C-section rates, allow more time. And really for me as a physician and for many of my colleagues, the rate limiting factor is our baby. As long as our baby is tolerating labor right. and there's no distress or ongoing distress, there's always some distress in labor. That's normal. <laughs> yeah. Babies get a little stressed yeah, out. Distress That's just the way. Labor? I want that labor. You know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. But you know what I mean? As long as there's no real dramatic suffering for baby going on, you have all the time in the world, you know? Mm. So I think that people need to know they're going to see these C-section rates go down. Mm. They're going down now. You know, the the rates are lower than than they've been because we're learning and we're progressing Mm. and we're getting better at this. Mm. That's good to know. I had no idea about all of that. So that is amazing. I know that you had mentioned that in California that we're doing a lot better than the rest of the country. And also in terms of uh, mortality rates. Why why is that? I mean, I personally, I'm like, I, we might have a third kid. I'm like, I don't want to leave the state before we're done having kids because I don't want to give birth in another state. (laughs) But why is it that California is different? And then why is the rest of the United States so awful in terms of comparing it to the rest of the world and like first world countries. Why, why is that? I know it's a really tough question. I've thought about that one myself. You know, I I imagine it has to do with resources and the rote training, this sort of, remember I was saying getting something to be so habitual going through drills and all that we get, 
as we go through here in California, there's a lot of emphasis on maternal health and safe outcomes. So most of the hospitals have strict regulations that entail things like drills with the entire team. So our nursing teams, the anesthesiologists, the OBGYNs, we're constantly practicing. We're constantly trying to ensure that everyone knows what to do in every scenario. So it's no surprise that something comes up because you've gone through it before. And I wonder if there's less of that potentially in especially rural areas where the resources are less. Um, you know, it may be that way. And, and you know, I, I think that partially having access to that sort of ongoing training maybe creates a risk for patients in other places. That must be the majority of why there's a difference. It has to be. Yeah, I think that I had read something about Hogue and the St. Because I know that Hogue, uh, where you deliver in the St. Joseph Network, that they have these. And obviously, my information is maybe outdated, like these little kits for hemorrhaging in the rooms. And that's something that other hospitals don't necessarily have. And going back to, you know, the blood transfusion. So I know that that's, is that something that, that Hoke still has, like the little kits or whatever for hemorrhaging? We do. We do. We have, well, it's a few things. I mean, we have an anesthesiologist who's always there 24-7. We have an OBGYN who's a laborist who's always mm-hmm. there 24-7. And these are things that maybe a, a woman may not know to think about mm-hmm. when she's considering her hospital. I've worked at hospitals, get this, where there's no anesthesiologist there. They have to drive in from home. There's no OBGYN there. There's labor what? and delivery. Yes. Oh my gosh. So we just drive in. My, the worst case in my entire career was getting called to that hospital, which was 30 minutes away from my house. This is when I was in Ventura. And all that was at that hospital was an emergency room doctor, his nurses, my labor and delivery nurse, and then this stranger of a patient that I happened to cover because I was on call. Oh, my gosh. Who was a five-foot-tall woman with an 11-pound baby. Oh, my gosh. As I (laughs) arrive, wow, she delivers the head, the shoulders get stuck. And I realize as I'm trying to get those shoulders out and they're not coming, that I literally have up to seven minutes or the baby could die. And if I don't get that baby out, no one will because there's no one there to help me. It was me and me alone. And that was it. Even my nurse didn't. I mean, what was she going to do? Yeah. And it took me four minutes. I did get the baby out, but, you know, I couldn't do all the same maneuvers or things that I could have done in a setting where I would have had a team around me. Now, by the way, the baby miraculously, thank you, dear God, did okay and mom did well. But that was probably the scariest experience I've ever had where I felt like I had a lack of resources. I didn't have the resources to keep her safe, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, yeah, so at Hogue, we have... We have the medications that we need if the bleeding starts up or maybe the baby's not doing well or we need to slow a contraction pattern down. We have afterbirth, not only the kits that you spoke about and blood transfusions, but we have things like Bakri balloons, which are things that we can put inside the uterus to put pressure Mm. to stop bleeding. We even have, and here's another thing to think about in a hospital, interventional radiologist 
who can help temporarily put little clogs in the arteries leading to the uterus to slow that bleeding and save lives and save uteruses so that she doesn't need a hysterectomy to save her life. So see, I think Hogue has all these great resources. I don't know. I can't imagine. I think probably the major cities on the East Coast and in the Midwest do have these same resources, but I just imagine that the smaller rural towns, just their hospitals don't have the staff and and supplies that the major hospitals do. And that's maybe where the numbers are different. Mm-hmm. Wow. That gave me chills. I had no idea that that even existed. That's amazing. That's incredible. I can't believe that. Uh, so yeah. Going back to like the rural area, I did want to ask a question because I have a friend who she's a nurse. So obviously she, she, she doesn't do L and D, but she did that when she was training cause she, to become a nurse because she was thinking about it. And uh, she has some um, friends that live in a rural area and they chose a home birth over a hospital birth because they didn't like the hospital. Is Do you ever think that there would be a scenario where maybe the local hospital isn't that great and it's, you know, maybe better to do a home birth or what do you think about that kind of scenario? I know it's kind of hard to say when it's, you don't really have specifics, but. I always think being close to a blood bank is always better than not. (laughs) So I I just think for that, we get right back to that blood thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, our uterus is a faucet. I mean, when it turns on, Mm -hmm. it just, let me tell you this. It's like a fire hydrant. Let's not call it a faucet. It's a fire hydrant. If you saw a fire hydrant just out into the, into the you know sky because maybe it was turned on without a you know the the fire hose, that's our uterus. Um, I just think you need to be where the blood is. You know, I obviously, yes. I, I feel horrible. You know, thinking, and you're right. The scenarios out there that maybe there are places where women aren't comfortable in their local hospital. What do you do? You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess all that they, yeah. what they have to do the most though, is to, like we said, well, Gosh, it keeps coming back when they're at that hospital to have the team of people that know them well, that can advocate for them, that can speak up for them, that can continue to sort of protect the ideals that maybe that woman has or her goals, then hopefully at least during that process right. she has the best experience she can but she should be near where the blood is <laughs> that's my yes, thought I love that. yes yeah because I mean uh you know you could always hire a doula that can maybe be your advocate at the hospital if you know maybe your husband's good at, I know my husband's pretty good about being assertive and direct but I know a lot of husbands just kind of freeze in the delivery scenario so you know if your husband's not good at it, maybe get a doula or I don't know, your mom or sister, or someone who's just going to advocate for you and ask those questions. Because obviously, you're not going to really be able to when you're in, in distress like that. I know I definitely don't think very clearly most of the time. It's like, okay, fine, whatever you think, you know, it's like not really great in that, that kind of situation. Uh, right. I, did, I know we're running out of time, but I, I did also want to ask you about the difference between home births in the US versus overseas, because I know that we do have some listeners in Europe and actually some in Israel is interesting. Uh, so shout out to the, those people. But I, I've heard that home births, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, but they're a little bit different setup because they're, they're more qualified or something like that. So I'm not sure if you're really familiar with the differences, but I thought I'd just throw that out there just in case you, you know. Well, 
with the appropriate training, the nurse midwives in the U.S. versus Europe should be the same. They should have all the same skills, the same abilities to do repairs, you know, to make a call when it's time to go to a hospital versus be able to stay at home. So I think with the the right provider who has the right certifications, it should be equal. You know, um, they are trained the same way and they do have the same tools that they can bring with them. They have their bags of Pitocin, their fluid, their side attack, their medications that are needed, their sutures, the ways that they can keep women safe in that home birth setting. Um, I think the biggest thing is for, again, for patients to sort of understand who they're hiring if they decide they are going to have a home birth. It's the same thing as when you're going to have a hospital birth, right? Know your provider. I don't think they could have a false assuredness that just because there's someone that says I'm willing to do a home birth, that that means suddenly they they know that provider is actually the right one for them, right? On that side of the coin, think about that. She, that same story exists. That patient should fed out that provider, make sure that the provider has the right skills, training, certifications. Um, and then I think we could be equivalent to what we've seen in the European experience. Mm. Truly. I like that a lot. Yes. Yeah. So Gosh, I loved everything that we've covered, and I just think it's it's so comprehensive from all the different considerations given. Uh, so it sounds like the most important things, just if you know, if I could summarize in in my own mind, are obviously choosing the the provider for you that's the right fit, right, and has the same goals in mind. Having that conversation up front, interviewing the provider. So obviously, choosing your provider is very important. And then second, also choosing your hospital. Um, is there anything else that, that you would like to add that you think would make a hospital birth just as an empowering experience as, as a home birth? I think knowing that the hospital has comfort measures for a natural, especially unmedicated delivery, which is what I imagine a person who wanted a home birth would want. Um, so knowing the hospital well enough ahead of time, besides the safety protocols that we already discussed. Do they have birthing balls? Do they have a shower? Do they have, you know, in early parts of labor, especially that whole idea of bathing and being in a warm tub tub is so nice. I mean, it really does help take that pain away from that lower sacral spreading and pit, that pressure, you know, so what types of uh, modalities for comfort measures does a hospital have? Do they have squatting bars are their beds able to break down so that you can, you know, easily position yourself in ways, you know, that you can respond to your body's needs because shifting in labor is critical to kind of getting through some of the painful times where your body's telling you you need to move in certain ways and having the right support system is important during that because you can, you know, fall and hurt yourself or whatever. So I think understanding the hospital will also be important. So her provider, the hospital, her team, um, and then of course, having her own self prep, you know, so classes ahead of time, especially in the third trimester, knowing that she's starting to understand her own coping mechanisms. One of the things I learned from a midwife when I was pregnant with my first, my husband and I did a really fun six week course. Every week we'd go with other couples to a midwife's house and she did an awesome job just sort of walking us through expectations and it was really bonding. Um, but she did this cool thing where she gave us some ice and, and we held it in our hand and the husbands did too. And she would teach us different pain control techniques because it does hurt. <laughs> 
And so, you know, you would kind of understand better. Am I someone that maybe uh, thinking about the ice and the way it feels really helps me to mentally manage the pain? Or is it that I'm someone who needs to dissociate? Do I need to go to Tahiti in my mind with my Mai Tai? (laughs) Or is music a better thing for me? You know, so prepping ahead of time and understanding the best to your ability, how you can self-soothe will truly help too. So there's also that self-knowledge or understanding that a woman needs before she does this at home or a hospital, right? That'll make her more successful. Yes. I like that a lot. Yes. Yes. Know your body. And if you're like me, you get the epidural. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm just always amazed at women who can do it without one because I, I have like zero pain tolerance. So I'm, I'm, I think that's amazing. So I, I really enjoyed our conversation so, so much. I'm so glad that we could have this. I know that you've given, gosh, so much useful information. I know every woman listening, you know, is going to walk away and feel empowered too. And, you know, just as a little reminder, I just want to say like, obviously, you know, supportive. I know at Mother Good, we're a judgment-free zone. So we're not judging moms for their mistakes or we don't want them to feel shameful if they decide to choose a home birth versus a hospital birth. Again, like my sister had home births. I have friends who have home births. I do know this is like a very touchy subject, but I thought it would be very important to just have a very honest and open discussion about, you know, the the risks and the benefits, kind of do like a risk of benefit analysis and then provide the most information so women can maybe choose to have the exact same experience that they're looking for in a home birth, but in a hospital setting, because I don't think most women know that they can achieve that home birth environment in a hospital. So I'm so glad that we had this conversation. And I'd love to end with a a personal question that we ask all of our guests, which is in line with our mission statement that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. And is there a time, a specific time in your life where you realize it's okay that you don't have to be perfect and it's okay to be a good mom instead? Well, it was that breastfeeding experience with my son. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That was one of the most challenging things in motherhood I've ever had um, that first time. And I, like I said, had that struggle of trying to do it perfectly based on advice. And when the final breakdown happened, you realize you just do your best and you go with your gut. Every person is different. Every mother's different. Every child is different. Our needs are different. The way we connect with our children and our family is very independent of what, you know, maybe someone else might feel as their way of doing it right. And so, and that really extends throughout motherhood. So I think as women, we have to give ourselves credit. We do what we do for our family out of love. And we really are devoted to our family, our children, and we're all trying to do our best. And we need to build each other up and realize there's lots of ways that we can do it right. And I learned that that first time with that breastfeeding experience. And I continue to learn it now with teenagers, (laughs) 16 and 13. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that stage, but I can imagine it's similar to toddlerhood, but different. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, I like that a lot. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much. So if any moms who are listening, if they, you know, if they're local in Orange County, you know, where can they find you uh, if they want to see you as their healthcare provider or people who are distant, if, can they follow you on social media? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So our practice is HM. That's for how Maslavaric medical and we're at hmmedicalobgyn.com. We're in Newport Beach, uh, the 500 Superior Complex. Uh, I do have an Instagram under HM Medical also. And I also, Emily, just want to thank you. I want that opportunity because this is such a great mission that you have. I, I truly think as a woman, you're doing such a service for us. Thank you so much. And thanks for inviting me. It's lots of fun. I love this stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That means so much. Yeah, I feel the same way about you. So thank you so much. It was such an honor. So thank you. Thank you. My honor.